From Wamaru to Timaru. Published March 14, 2020. From Wamaru, I drove north to the similarly named town of Timaru. The towns are twins in some ways. They're both local ports founded in colonial times, with plenty of colonial architecture. And both seem to take their names from the same source, the Maori word Maru. By one account the source is Maru with a capital M, an ancestral hero of the local Maori iwi or tribes and hapu or bands. In this version, Timaru is short for Tatihia Maru, the top knot of Maru. Amaru is short for Teohua Maru, the gift of Maru. Others say that the source is Maru with a little m, in the sense of a good spot to camp or haul boats ashore. And there are other explanations, of possibly dwindling credibility compared to the two main theories. Whatever the precise origin of its name, Timaru sits toward the southern end of the great sweep of the Canterbury Bight, which starts just south of Christchurch. The harbour of the town itself has the lovely name of Caroline Bay. The town lies on undulating terrain, made from lava flows that once cascaded from a nearby extinct volcano called Mount Horrible. The basalt lava of Mount Horrible is called bluestone. Along with smaller quantities of granite from the same volcano, it was used to build a colonial town in just the same way that Omaru was built out of local whitestone. Waimati and its Wallabies Halfway between the two Maru towns, I took a short detour into Waimati. Waimati is a Maori name which literally means deadwater, like somewhere in the Wild West. The town is the birthplace of the fondly remembered Prime Minister Norman Kirk, who came to power in 1972, at about the same time as Gough Whitlam in Australia. Kirk was always quite reasonable and intelligent, in a way that is completely different to many of the politicians of today. He's interviewed in the first part of this clip. Unlike Whitlam, who lingered on in bitterness for nearly four decades after being deposed in 1975, Kirk tragically died in his first term of office. And so he stares at us Kiwis through the years with an expression rather like that of John F. Kennedy, provoking a similar sense of what might have been. Why Matty was a nice town, unassuming but with a ton of history behind it. A hundred years ago, there weren't as yet very many female medical graduates in New Zealand. Their ranks were diminished further when local GP Dr. Margaret Cruikshank was fatally infected while caring for patients during the 1918 influenza pandemic, to which the present coronavirus outbreak is being compared. Hopefully we won't be erecting any more like this. I wonder whether this statue inspired Kirk to his life of public service? He'd have gone past it every day as a boy. It was December of 2019 when I was there and so I was more interested in the fact that Dr. Cruikshank was the first female doctor to qualify in New Zealand. If I gave any thought to manner of her demise, I'd have supposed that all that was safely consigned to what the rapper Jill Scott Heron once called a black-and-white movie from ages ago. I struck up a conversation with a French traveller in a modern-looking café, and noticed that the town had more than one wildlife park featuring a collection of wallabies, which are like small kangaroos. I was surprised. I thought wallabies were a considered a pest in this part of New Zealand. They were brought over from Australia for the fur trade in colonial times, but soon hopped away and started eating the farmers' crops. In fact, they seem to be quite proud of being overrun by wallabies in Waimati. All sorts of plants and animals introduced to New Zealand by its settlers, both the Maori who introduced Polynesian crops, small dogs and a species of rat, and still more so the Europeans who came later, have turned into pests. As in Australia, perhaps one of the worst mistakes was the introduction of the rabbit. Lacking natural predators, it exploded in numbers and started eating the farmer's crops down to the ground. 
So, other people introduced stoats, weasels and ferrets to eat the rabbits. But those creatures found New Zealand's native birds to be much easier prey. And so on, and so forth. I guess it's fair to say that wallabies probably aren't as bad as stoats as introduced pests go. And probably cuter as well. The Historic Bluestone Town As Omaru is Whitestone, so Timaru is Bluestone. One of the buildings I photographed, now a backpacker hostel, is called the Dominion Hotel according to the old lettering at the top. But in its day it would probably have been known to the townsfolk primarily as a pub or bar. For hotel is a New Zealand euphemism for a liquor establishment dating back to the days when the clamour for prohibition was strong, along with the odd counter-demonstration. Straight-out pubs and bars actually did end up being prohibited, or at least fairly severely restricted. But you were still allowed to drink freely on the premises of a hotel. So, the owner of every boozer made sure to put in a few rooms upstairs. Sometimes the hotel side of the business was serious and reflected in serious architecture, as with the Dominion Hotel. Other times it was more token in nature, another level on a flimsy structure with floors that did little to block the transmission of noise from the bar below. One of the other hotels in Timru is called the Hydro Grand, a reflection of the days when Timru pubs, sorry, hotels, would be patronized by workers from South Island hydroelectric schemes on their days off. New Zealand hotels tended to have almost absurdly respectable-sounding names. The Dominion, as we've seen. The Grand. The Royal George. The Royal Oak. The Naveland family. The Gladstone, named after a famous British Prime Minister. Or a little more obscurely perhaps, the Star and Garter, named after noble orders of chivalry. Establishments that served beer thus fended off further attempts at closure by becoming pillars of the establishment themselves. Grand premises aren't confined to town. Part of the way up Mount Horrible, there's a stately home and function venue called Castle Claremont. Built of local granite with white stone details, Castle Claremont is perhaps in some ways even more grand than Lanark's Castle near Dunedin. But Castle Claremont is less well known since it's in a more remote spot. It was built in 1884 by the Rhodes family, originally from Yorkshire. The Rhodes family were big names in colonial New Zealand. I imagine that they were probably distant relatives of Cecil Rhodes, though he was born at a time when the New Zealand branch of the clan was already well established. Timaru by the sea, for you and me. I love the way that Timaru's old buildings clustered around the waterfront and beaches of Caroline Bay. Back in the day, Timaru had a reputation as a sort of Riviera by the sea, like much of New Zealand, in actual fact. Indeed, it pretty much still is like that. The Otipua Wetland South of the town, on Saltwater Creek, there is the Otipua Wetland, 60 to 70 hectares or a bit less than 200 acres of marshy habitat that has been under restoration, by an army of volunteers, for more than 20 years. I got some good photos there too. The wetland joins up to a coastal track that leads both northward back to the town via Petitity Point, and southward to another prominent coastal point. The Teana Rock Art Center to round off, I also went to the amazing Teana Rock Arts Center, run by the biggest South Island iwi, Naitahu. Teana means the cave. It displays rock art done by some of the earliest Maori to settle in the region, basically the local equivalent of European Ice Age cave paintings or Aboriginal rock art in Australia. Such so-called primitive art is often amazingly polished and dynamic, a good case in point being the paintings of lions in France's Chauvet Cave. And the New Zealand version is no exception.
At Dayana, the local Maori seem to have anticipated Pablo Picasso. As do the Chauvet cave paintings, come to think of it. Teana is conveniently located in downtown Timaru, in George Street. The museum also runs guided tours into the countryside, to investigate the actual honest-to-goodness caves. Murray Rockhart has sometimes appeared on New Zealand postage stamps. There are some images of a 2012 series, here. Many of the rock drawings at Teana are a bit different in appearance to what most people would think of as traditional Maori art, which scholars describe as being in classic style. The differences arise partly because the rock art at Teana is a few hundred years older than the classic style. Its origins and significance are also much more obscure. A lot of classic Maori art has a detailed provenance. On other hand, as the Teana displays say, We don't know exactly who made the rock art. But South Island Maori are also somewhat distinct from the, the more numerous North Island Maori, the main originators of the classic style, in any case. The person in charge that day, named Wes, filled me in on the local indigenous history as well as some of the differences between the Maori of the South Island and their North Island cousins. For instance, in the dialects of North Island Maori, on which the official form of the language is based, many words have an NG sound like the one that appears twice in the word singing written the same way. NG often appears at the start of words as well as in the middle or at the end, in words like arara, meaning lizard, wong aruhoa, a volcano in the central North Island. In the South Island, the NG changes into a K. And so the other name for Mount Cook is Araki, a poetical term meaning something like cloud in the sky since the mountain is so tall and snowy, even in summer. In North Island Maori, this would be Arangi and the Waitaki River which divides the historic provinces of Otago and Canterbury, its name meaning Water of Tears, is the equivalent of Waitangi in the North Island. Naitahu records its name with an NG for official purposes and on the Teana website too, but it's Kaitahu when it's at home. There are other differences that are perhaps not so well recorded, some minor iwi or hapu having been absorbed into others and their local dialects extinguished in the general upheaval of colonial times. The names Otago and Matagari, a thorny shrub, come down to us from the early settlers but they are of Maori origin. Both have a G in them that isn't supposed to be there in any form of Maori, north or south. Did some now vanished tribe actually speak that way?